I'm Ariane Elfant, and this is Death the Podcast. Death is the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. I'm really looking forward to speaking with my guest today, Allison Durant. Allison is joining us on Death the Podcast to discuss the subject of motherless daughters. Allison was in high school when she lost her own mother to lung cancer over 31 years ago. Allison went on to graduate college, begin a career, get married, and have three children when she reached what she calls a turning point in 2012. During that year, Allison began a motherless daughters group of New Orleans. The group was organized for girls and women who lost their mothers before the age of 25. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. I know, like, as we contacted you to do this interview, that so much in your life happened to change, like, right, right. around that moment. And um, I just wanted to give you a chance to speak to some of that if you would like to, because it, it seemed fairly... Um, interesting that that was the timing. Yeah, it was. Um, so, you know, my mom died 31 years ago, and I feel like that has been such the defining moment in my life. And um, so when you contacted me to set up this podcast, my father had died the day before. And um, I was like, wow now I've got something else to talk about when it comes to death. Like it has been my mother, my mother, my mother, my mother, you know, um, I just thought it was so interesting because the experience of losing my father was vastly different. I mean, first of all, I'm, I turned 50 this year, so I'm an adult and, um, I was able to be present through his illness and the way that that things progressed with him was kind of this treasure hunt to figure out what was wrong with him and it was really important to me to know what was going on and I realized I connected that back to that feeling of being the child who had no idea what was happening with my mother's illness um and so it was like a panic. At one point, he went to Houston. And I mean, I was literally like, how am I going to know what's going on if he's not in New Orleans? And it was, um, it turned out okay. I mean, I, there's phones and there are cars and planes that can get you where you need to go and to get the information. But just my wanting to be involved, I, I know it came from that anxiety of where I was when my mother died, which was uninformed, left out to either their doing or my doing. You know, some of it was being 18 years old and like, I got better things to do than to go see my mother in the hospital. I've got parties to go to and friends to hang, you know, I mean, you're just a kid. And um, so the difference was profound. I mean, I was so much more able to process it. Now, when he died, was I ready? No. It's again, you know it's coming. You know it's inevitable. You know it's going to be any day. And then when it happens, I just, you're just, de I'm, I was devastated. Like I wanted, there were still things I wanted to ask him. 
still things I wanted to know, still time that I wanted to spend with them. I spent a lot of time with him in the last year and, and my father and I didn't always have the best relationship because of things that kind of unfolded after my mother's death. Um, and so, you know, I could sit back and regret that, but I'm going instead to appreciate the kind of that year that I did have with him and knowing that it was limited. And so right before um, Thanksgiving, when my father was still alive, I had felt a lump in my breast and I thought, oh great, the last thing I want to do is tell my father that I have breast cancer. Um, I, and I, I just immediately, you know, of course my mother died young, so every time I feel something, I'm convinced that I'm you know, got a gargantuan tumor and I'm going to die. Um, and so I started going through the screenings um, that they recommend. And I did not tell my father that I was doing that. I just didn't want to worry him. He had, you know, was declining pretty rapidly at that point. And, um, and he died. And a week later, I found out that I had breast cancer. And I thought, well, this is a really cruel joke. You know, I didn't want to have to tell him that I had cancer, but I didn't really think, I really didn't think I was going to have cancer. <laughs> I thought, you know what, I took my licks back in 1984. Nothing bad is supposed to happen to me. So I've always just kind of thought, well, you know, I'm immune now. And um, I wasn't. So... I found out that I had breast cancer and I didn't have to tell my father. So that was a gift, I guess, in a way. But then I did have to tell my children. And so here I was, like the biggest panic was my kids know that mothers die. Mothers die. They know that. They have watched me come to terms with it, deal with it, see my motherless daughters, friends, groups. They, they, mothers die. And I thought, I mean, I am not going to die, but I just don't want them to panic and be fearful and scared. But, I mean, I can't control that. What changed about your your grief and your loss of your mom when you became a mom? You know, I didn't realize until I turned probably into my 40s, mid-40s, that I was missing anything. I was so self-centered and short-sighted that I just, I mean, that's the thing. I just was a doer. So I had my... I had my first daughter, and one thing that happened, and I mean, you, <laughs> I hope you don't think I'm, um, I'm just going to say it, but when I first brought her home in her crib, and you know, you're, you're a mother, you can watch your child sleep, your baby, like you can watch them sleep for 24 hours. I mean, it's just <laughs> the most, so I'm standing there watching her sleep, and I felt this like rush of air come through the room. And I just 
knew at that moment my mother loved me the way that I loved this baby. And as much as, you know, maybe she went and smoked cigarettes and went off and died or, I mean, I just felt that this is how my mother loved me no matter what. And this is how, I mean, I just felt like immense love for this child. And after that, like, I never really thought, oh, if only my mother were here. I mean, yeah, I was, and that, I was, I was angry because it was hard. I had three kids in three years. It was tough. Yeah. And I have a husband and I, I mean, he's supportive. Um, so I didn't know that that's what was going on. I didn't know that's why I was so angry, but yet I couldn't ask for help. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to ask for help. And I didn't realize it until later when I got sober, like that's what was going on. I was really just suppressing that extreme grief. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to address it. Well, asking for help I, I think connects us with our with our vulnerability, right? With, with our, as you said, you know, fear, sadness, all all of those things. I think come from asking for help. Inherent in, in that is that I need something I don't have. I right. I need something I don't have, and that's a sign of weakness. And I am not weak. I am going to plow through this because I have to. And yet also, like, I, I love what you just shared about what you felt looking at your daughter, because it seems like with that with that new life and that surge of motherhood feeling, you that also connected you with mm-hmm. what your mother felt for you. Mm-hmm. It really brought me great peace. How is how is the loss of your mom incorporated or not incorporated into your your current family? Um, it's interesting you say that because, you know, now I have three teenagers and they are so funny because they tell me that I'm crazy and controlling and I need to know everything. And I and I just kind of laugh and I'm like, call me when you're 40. And also I tell them, like, I am going to parent you like it is so important to me that I be present and parent them. Like, I I take that more seriously than the breath I breathe. I mean, it is just ingrained. Like, it makes me a little bit crazy because anyone that's a parent of teenagers, I think, would agree. It's a whole lot easier to be lax and say, you know what? You're right. Go ahead. Go to Baton Rouge for that concert. I'll see you tomorrow. Or what, you know, that's that's a lot easier than putting your foot down and saying, no, you're not going to go. And if you want me to tell you why, I'm going to tell you why, but I really don't even have to tell you why. And it's, but it's so important to me to be a mother because I know that that, I mean, we all are just have the time we have. I mean, any given moment anything could happen to any of us and I'm not trying to be a fatalist but um I recognize that like the time is now for me to impart values and morals and structure and um 
you know, eventually I can be their friend and I'll uh, try to be there for them emotionally and, you know, support them in ways too. But it's, it's sort of an interesting, you know, because some, some parts of me want to just jump forward to like playing and not being the parent and just being friends. But I also like know that's would be a train wreck. And I'm sure I'm, there's are a lot of things I'm probably lax on. You know, anyone that knows me and hears this might be like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do try to like, it, it is just part of me, I think. It, it's fearful. It's part of my fear that like I won't be there. Like I'm here, so I'm here to parent you. And that's what I was wondering as as you were talking is that, I mean, given that you lost your mom as as a teenager mm-hmm. um, and they're right around that age or getting there. Yeah. Well, my mom, my my oldest daughter is um, 17 and she's about to graduate. And I my mother died the month after I graduated from high school. But my mother was sick in high school. She had lung cancer. So part of like even losing her came with the diagnosis because my parents just and you know I don't know how I would handle it I'm not criticizing it just is what I mean I basically was abandoned from that point on you know the focus was on her and treatments and um, she eventually was paralyzed and in and out of the hospital. So my, you know, last year at home as a senior, she was in the hospital for a lot of it. Um, so I really didn't have a parent at home. My father, but my father was either at the hospital or at work, and maybe he'd be home, you know, for an hour. I worked at a dress shop right next to Fat Harry's dress shop. That sounds so old-fashioned. It wasn't a dress shop. It was a clothing store. And I mean, I lived off of cheese fries and would work until 8 o'clock at night and go see my mother in the hospital and go home and try to study physics or something, you know, like whatever. Um, Needless to say, my grades plummeted, and I wasn't parented. And and yet your awareness now of, like, the importance of your presence and attention on your children as as their parent I, I mean I imagine that's got to be somewhat informed by everything you're, oh, you're saying now how valuable that is mm-hmm. and it is a whole lot harder and less glamorous yes as this interview is all unfolding these things are happening it's like okay I've lost my mother now my father has died and now I mean I'm facing my own mortality my own disease my own you know it's not that there isn't a good prognosis, because there is, but um, it's just a little bit ironic. <laughs> the timing of it, the age of my children. Um, so I feel like my mother's death, you know, now is not the only, you know, thing that I have related to in this past year when it comes to death right you have other other things on your mind and in in the forefront and yet I'm just struck by as you're talking that your the the wisdom that you convey um 
seems so much informed by the the loss you you've experienced. I chose to be completely open to share with them the minute, well, not the minute, but the afternoon that I found out. Um, and I plan to let them walk the walk with me and not keep anything a secret. Tomorrow I go in for my port for chemotherapy and my kids said, we want to come. And I, I was like, you just want to come because I'm going to be under anesthesia and you're <laughs> going to make fun of me. And my 14-year-old said, no, mom, I want to support you. And oh. I was like, wow. You know, give her the opportunity to decide what she wants to do or what she wants to hear or, you know. And it's just a very different approach than what I was dealing with when I lost my mother. Well, and that seems so conscious for you that mm -hmm. you're and, and deliberate that you are well, this is not news that anyone would want. And I, I really love the theory that, like, bad things shouldn't happen to people where bad things have already happened. Right. And gosh, I, like, wish more than anything that that were, that were the case. But here you are with really hard, painful things in, in your rearview mirror, but still very present for you. And um, you're so open about it. You're you're giving your children, it seems to me, the gift of, of being able to do that same thing and I mean I realize you made the choice to share this with them but it gives them a lot of choice moving forward to not mm -hmm. be that child that was in the dark you know mm -hmm. not really knowing where everybody was or what they were doing you know we all just do the best we can with what we're given at the time Allison you identified 2012 as a turning point for you can you describe a little about that to me um, 2012 was a big year for me, primarily because it was the year that I went into recovery. I got sober and started working with a therapist. Um, and having removed sort of that medicator that I had been using for so long was what opened my eyes to the realization that I had not grieved the loss of my mother, um, which had happened you know, back in 1984. And it was such excruciating pain that I knew I had to do something to try to get through it. And that's when I started seeking out other people that were like me, because I did not know at that time people who had lost their mother at a young age. I, I knew of one other person who was 16 when her mother died, um, and she and I connected immediately, but she was, you know, married to a friend of mine, and then they got divorced, and then she went away. It was, you know, a very fleeting connection, and um, so I just longed for finding, like, people like me. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel like that connected you more to your, your own grief? It made me aware of that the feelings that I was having that, that were a result of the grief as opposed to the result of my life, necessarily the places where I was in my life. I, I connected it back to the grief because people who had lost their mother at a young age had could say, yes, I feel that way too. Even though I was married with three kids, 
one of the women in my group had never been married and had no children, but yet she had similar feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was that realization that kind of connected all the dots for me and made me feel less alone and weird and baffled by the feelings that I was having um, because it was it was complicated and it was complex and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand how I could be feeling so sad when I had so many gifts in my life. What commonalities did you notice then or do you notice now between, I mean, amongst women who've, who've lost their mothers, especially at an early age? Um, one of the things that I found in common and, you know, not everyone in the group had had lost their mother um, 25 years ago. For instance, one of the girls in our group had lost their mother four years ago. I mean, we had a 17-year-old in our group, too, who had lost her mother when she was 14. And one of the common, so even like having that real recent loss, I think one of the things that um, we bonded on was this feeling of abandonment and the idea that we were the only ones that were here to take care of ourselves all all through into our adulthood even. Although there are people who cared about us, it's still this feeling of because we were left without the blueprint, there was no map for us. And so it was like ours to forge ahead. And we did so with a vengeance. <laughs> some, in my case, destructive in some ways, but determined and um, aggressive and confident in ways, but yet very unsure and unstable in others. So it's kind of a juxtaposition, I think, of two sides and part of it is we all agreed that because we lost that maternal guide that we really didn't we just felt so kind of like hanging you know and and that feeling of hanging forced us to not so much reach outward I would say that we all pretty much for me especially like I didn't look to the out like I didn't know that I I felt like the only person that was going to be able to do anything was myself I never thought that there was an outside like professional help or support group or anything that was going to help me through it like I didn't know how to ask for help either for you was that part of what the purpose that that alcohol served is a buffer a buffer between even knowing that you needed help um, absolutely and then not knowing I imagine where to go Yes, very much so. I think that it was definitely that companion and and that um, friend and that guide and that person who told me everything was going to be okay. You know, I think that's where alcohol came in for me, for sure. And yet you accomplished so much. Well, a lot of people do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what the differences are between the the period before you got sober and since in terms of your relationships and, and your achievements and what what you've done and how you've done it. Um, 
God, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that for one thing, before getting sober, you know, I had very few. I was either happy or I was mad. Um, Like, I didn't understand that fear was behind the anger. I was just angry, but I couldn't understand why. And I think once I had a clear head and clear thoughts and people that I connected with that had similar experiences, I could understand that, that make that connection that the, the anger was related to fear. And it's so much of the fear of that unknown, that fear of me leaving my children motherless, fear of not doing things, you know, to the best of my ability. Um, just lots and lots of just insecurities that can go back to not having that stable person, you know, that that maternal figure that, and I know a lot of people have mothers, but they don't have great relationships with them. Um, so I'm not saying that that's like the end all be all to a healthy person, but I, th- I think that it's really um, just interesting for people, you know, people who have lost their mother. Um, I think it will eventually catch up to you if you haven't dealt with it from the very beginning. You know, like I see my the one of the girls in my motherless daughters group is eighteen, and she joined. I mean, I'm. It's amazing the strength that she had to show up at this group where we read Hope Edelman's book, Motherless Daughters. You know, in between softball practice and school, and um, share her feelings with us, and you know, read with us, and listen to us and we would learn from her and now you know she's a sophomore at Stanford like she's walking through this and not away from it and I think for me I just kind of walked away from it thinking that I'm 18 I'm good I'm an adult it's I mean I wasn't 12 when my mom died I'm fine and I walked away thinking that there was no reason why I needed a mother or why I needed that in my life and until it caught up to me so many years later and how tell me a little bit like about how the group is run and what that looks like um well the group in the beginning when none of us knew each other it was run kind of formally and they would I mean I'm kind I can be kind of a serious person um so it was run you know with sort of an opening serenity prayer and we would go around the room we go around the room and we say our name and we say who our mother is and our mother's name because for a lot of people me especially my mother's name is never spoken um and so that was like impactful from the very beginning to say my name is Allison and my mother is Jane um and she died when she was 49 you know when I was 18 years old and so we go around the room and start like that and then Hope Edelman is like the person who wrote what I call the bible on motherless daughters back in 1980 gosh five 95, in 1995, she wrote a book, and it was based on a compilation of interviews that she did with women who had lost their mother at a young age. And it really just speaks to, you know, suicide, um, 
you know, long-term illness, short-term illness, accidents, you know, it talks about all the different, there's, you know, different reactions to these things. And so we just sit and we read for about 30 minutes, we read the book, and then we discuss what we read. And then in the end, we always end up like chatting and catching up. And now, you know, people in the group have become close friends. We just attended one of our motherless daughter's weddings. Um, you know, there's just really for my 50th birthday, which was the year I outlived my mother, my motherless daughter's group gave me the most special present, which was a photograph of myself and my mother when I was young. And they blew it up onto a canvas and they wrote on the back of it. I mean, it's just like, so it's, it's just this special place, you know, that, um, we have to go and be together and kind of share in that experience. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It sounds like just the the energy of connection that happens with a group mm-hmm. of women who share that yes. one piece, important mm-hmm. piece, yeah. that, that things unfold in a powerful way. Yes, it, it really does. And this past year, we had a woman who came, and um, I met her through my father, and she lost her mother 67 years ago. And to listen to her and watch the tears well up in her eyes, for her to say her mother's name and how special it was for her to be there, it's like, it doesn't go away, you know. And then you have someone who lost their mother eight months ago, and it's like, this. it's similar, you know. It's just this feeling of tremendous loss that they can connect on. So it's it's really pretty special. Well, and it also helps one understand why running from that kind of what what can feel like a bottomless pit of pain, Mm -hmm. your ability to understand both sides, the running away from it and the also facing it in a day to day, you know, sober, clear way that Mm -hmm. both are pretty, pretty understandably painful. Yes. But it's definitely less painful to face it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here to say. (laughs) We're here to be an advocate of of that for Uh sure. Yeah. Face the pain. Um, Well, and I mean, amazing that you that you hit a turning point and woke up. And I mean, I think that kind of awakening is um, is rare and not easy. And yeah, you've kept people in your life on both sides, too. If people want to learn a bit more about um, the Motherless Daughters Group of New Orleans or the Mother's Day Luncheon, or what's the best way to connect? Oh, that's um, a that's a good question. We have a Facebook page, which is sort of how we communicate, um, called Motherless Daughters of New Orleans, which you have to be invited. So, if you would like to send an email to my email address, which is Allison Durant, A L L I S O N D U R A N T at Mac. Dot com. Um, you can reach me that way. And also Hope Edelman has a motherless daughters page that has motherless daughters groups all around the world that um, you can search by location. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. This was a really wonderful experience. Thanks. You're welcome. The word death evokes all sorts of personal feelings, images, and stories. These stories are compelling, and sharing them connects us more fully to life. I'm Ariane Alfont, and you've been listening to Death, the podcast. Join us for our next episode in this series.
My guest has been Allison Durant. To find out more about Motherless Daughters support groups, you can go to hopeedelman.com. This show is produced and engineered by Eric Merle. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, you can go to his website, davidmilling.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you could take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On all of them, we're called Death the Podcast. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting. Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.